You're about to join Jerry Parker, Maritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Hey everyone and welcome back to another edition of the Systematic Investor Series where we each week discuss and debate what's going on in the world of rule-based investing right now. My name is Niels Kastor-Larsen and as usual I'm joined by Jerry Parker and Moritz Siebert and uh, yeah, good morning to you. How are you? Great, great. Good, fantastic. So um, this week we're just uh, going to dive straight into things. Uh, no formal introductions needed. Um, so um, was it a busy week in uh, the systematic trading land for you guys? Not for me. Uh, I got a lot of um, <clears throat> end of day notices that no trades today. So we're staying with the trends. They're pretty established. We've got positions on most mostly shorts. So pretty quiet, but still interesting. You know, things are always going on and we were very, um, it's very fun to watch the world's markets. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, what about you, Moritz? What, what did you see this week going on in terms of? Really the same thing here. Um, nothing much happened. Same positions, same position sizes, no new signals. So um, pretty much a repetition of, of last week, just with a very good performance on our side from um, being long equity indices. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, talking about return drivers, uh, you know, copper had a bit of a uh, reversal. I wouldn't say reversal in terms of changing, necessarily changing the signal, but there's certainly a bit of a bounce that um, was against the prevailing trend uh, from where I sit. And uh, I also noticed the uh, the Aussie uh, fixed income markets this week. Um, and what was interesting, although we don't look at fundamentals but what is interesting sometimes you look at so oh wow there was a big move and it had certain pnl implications and so i just looked into that uh as we were getting uh, ready for our conversation today and um and uh, so the the aussie tenure notes uh the the yield on that um pretty much went from two two and a half percent to more than 2.7 percent in september alone and uh, a lot of talk going on down there um, in terms of the uh, central bank being worried about, uh, you know, excessive uh, mortgage lending in the interest only space. So kind of interesting to put a few comments on, uh, you know, some of these things that, that I notice in terms of, of P&L. But I mean, other than that, obviously, energy uh, doing well uh, on the long side, U.S. equities doing okay. Um, on that side, um, maybe currencies were a bit of a challenge this week. What about what? What did you see? Yeah, definitely <clears throat> sell off in the dollar. Skepticism yeah. about that. Uh, I have a trader friend who trades, you know, trend, and <clears throat> his fundamental boss came <laughs> in and said, "I can't believe you're long the dollar." So probably a good sign. A little bit of skepticism in a yeah, what looks like a downtrend. Yeah. Uh, downtrend in the currencies, that is. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, I noticed uh, you, Jerry, were on television this week as well, talking about um, some of the markets. And, and I liked some of your comments. Uh, maybe it was Nat Gas you were talking about. I can't remember. But quite an erratic uh, trending behavior uh, in the market you were talking about. And where you made the point 
that it's one of those markets that's really difficult to, or trends that's really difficult to stay with. And where uh, probably a lot of systems, maybe shorter term systems, I mean, some might do well because if they are short term, they could, you know, trade the uh, sort of the reverse short term reversals. But but sort of the medium term systems might get chopped up a bit and, and that makes it hard to, to stay with it. And I thought that was, again, very insightful because um, a lot of people think that just because you're systematic, it must be easy, but doesn't always feel that way. <laughs> that. It's a tough market. It's been tough. The one thing that we found that works as a complement to trend is sort of pain. And how much pain has a market caused recently? Of course, you want to kind of have an algorithm, a rule for that. But that's been a choppy, false breakouts type of a market. And so I think that uh, I'm getting more and more eager in a perverse kind of way to go <laughs> long or short. I thought I was going to go short last week or so. It rallied yeah. off those lows. So Get ready for natural gas and embrace the pain. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure, 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 sure. I know you've been traveling this week, Moritz, but what else uh, were you seeing in, in, you know, from your trend lens? Lens, I guess it's called. I think just speaking about natural gas again, that's a very great example. It's one of those markets where, you know, I sometimes say, well, it's more volatile than the other ones, so maybe we should trade that in a different way. And then you go, no, we're not going to be trading that in a different way. If we traded that in a different way then you know we're losing the sample size on that market you know that we created during system development so we as far as we're concerned or i'm concerned um you know i'm trading that market using the same entry and exit rules as every else other market also um despite of the fact that it is more volatile but you know the, the thought keeps recurring that maybe that is a different market that I should be trading in a different way but no you yeah. doubt it's just a difficult market to trade sometimes yeah, I think in particular, uh, you know, I have no real proof for it, but I think that some systems or methodologies using stops, for example, will find it very difficult and very costly uh, mm -hmm. when you go through periods like that in, in those markets. Um, and so, again, you could be a trend follower in many different ways. Um, some people prefer stops, other people prefer to do it in a, in a different way and obviously timeframes and all that. So, so you can get a lot of different results uh, from from what people may perceive as, as the same trend following uh, approach. In terms of the, by the way, I don't know if you noticed that, but I saw um, that the numbers come out uh, for, for trend followers in August. And of course, I noticed the year to date. And I hear a lot over here that uh, investors feel that, you know, it's not a great year. And and it isn't a great year for, for, for some. But I actually noticed that a lot of trend followers are up, up, are in the black now for the year. Um, and uh, so it didn't strike me as, as bad as some people may want to describe it as at the moment. Don't know if you saw any of those stats coming out. I, yeah, it could be worse. Uh, we had a good month, which was needed, necessary. Yeah. So, But, you know, we're definitely anticipating a good rest sure. of the year, hopefully. Yeah, true. Um, in terms of the interesting news from 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 our world, um, I think we all saw an article. Maybe we want to just touch upon that. We saw an article that came out, uh, f and it talked about investors want managers' stories, not track records. Did any of you had time to to um, to read that? Yeah, I read yes. it. Yes, I yeah. read it. I like um, it. And uh, I think it's a great topic and a lot of truth with that. 
um, I believe it is true. So investors would like to, you know, they, they like the story, they like the, you know, the, I don't know how to say that, like everything other sometimes than the track record, whereas, you know, we'd say, well, how, how can that be possible? You should be looking at the track record, look at the numbers, look at the stats and the facts and, uh, and make an informed decision based on, based on that, of course, talk to the manager and find out whether the investment processes and everything that is applied there is, is robust. But, you know, it, it, it seemed according to the article that sometimes the performance track record takes a back seat to other things. And I found that surprising. Mm. So I, I tweeted that article and the quote I pulled out was allocators are skipping the numbers and going straight to the narrative investment process objectives and other quantitative info, the equivalent of the college essay. And I think it, it's good. It, definitely the investment process. I think this article and idea dovetails nicely with other articles I've read that says it's difficult to get it right in changing managers by looking at short-term performance or performance. And I think therein lies the issue. What is long-term? What is short-term? We tend to think three to five years, that's, that's a long time. I mean, six months is a long time for a typical client. So what these articles are sort of saying is, no, it's not. Three to five may not be enough. <clears throat> and if you really want to get it right and quit hiring and firing and chasing returns, understand this investment process, uh, just like Moritz was saying, do you use different systems for for different markets, you know, don't do that. And that's wrong. And do you trade short longs and shorts the same way? So these fundamental deep questions that get at the heart of how you build your systems, how robust, what's your sample size, these are equally as good as a three to five year performance when it comes to um, hiring and firing different managers. So I kind of like that because, you know, we want people to understand our edge, which may not, which may not manifest itself even over a three-year period. Yeah, very true. I mean, I've got a couple of thoughts on that. Uh, one is that I, th I do think that time frame is difficult sometimes uh, for, um, you know, for people to figure out and, and for, for me as well to figure out what's the right time frame to compare managers. I, I thought we, we, we do on our side, we do a, a peer group analysis every month and 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 we look at our performance versus um you know uh, you know others in in different time frames who are predominantly classified as trend followers and um one of these managers which is a big brand uh, billions of dollars under management um you know the performance is very different let's let's put it that way um one very positive uh and 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 the other one actually negative and it's over a five and a half year period. So you would think it's reasonable. But the correlation between us and them uh, is actually pretty high, 0.65 thereabouts. So even over such a long period of time, performance dispersion is enormous. Uh, yet correlation, if you only saw the correlation number, you'd think, well, they're probably going to be more or less the same. So, so for me, when I look at that, I'm thinking, wow, you know, five, five and a half years, that's not even... Maybe that's not even enough time to really analyze this, um, you know, potentially. I don't know. Um, the other thing I like about what you said, uh, Jerry, was the thing about the narrative. I think narrative is really important, how we talk about these things. Um, something I see, um, you know, uh, for example, Andrew Lowe from Alpha Simplex 
talk a lot about narrative and how important that is uh, when we look at these things. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's an interesting topic uh, in in general. Um, it also comes down to you know what what do investors really want uh, from from their managers? I by the way, just, yeah, go we're ahead. Just all yeah. infected by this idea that you know we crave more certainty. And sometimes we want to get it from less data. The most recent data must be correct. Uh, the, you know, why did you underperform yeah. last month? Uh, my systems need to be evolving and updated based upon the most recent data. And so I think I reject that totally, that more than likely in most situations, all of the data that you can get your hands on, unfortunately, is going to be your best idea going forward. And we need to resist this whole idea that one month or six months or even three years is a lot of data when there's a lot more out there. And I think allocators have been burned. They they realize their own mistakes in uh, whatever time frame they're using. So they're scrambling for, there must be something else out there qualitatively to, to help me get my arms around what these people are doing. And so I applaud this. I think it's not saying that track records don't matter. It's basically saying we've looked at track records in our own way and we haven't made good decisions. Yeah, yeah. Very good point. Which I'd like to add yeah. something that actually came up this week, and it came up before many times also, is people asking you about your your forecast or your return expectations of your system, right? And I'd like to, I think they'd like to hear something like, well, I believe that we're going to be able to make between 5 and 7% this year, like within that range. And and obviously, we can't say that. You know, it's, it's just, it, it comes out as what it comes out. But my response to those type of questions has migrated towards saying, well, my best expectation for future returns, my best estimate for that is my system's past long-term performance. And I can say that because we've created the system in a rigorous and robust way. You know, we didn't fit it. We didn't, you know, play around with, um, you know, impacting sample sizes and, and using different signals for longs and shorts and, and different markets and those type of things. So as of today, therefore, because we've built that system in a good way, in a solid way, my there's no indication to say that the long-term future return should be really that much different than the past return. Hmm. Interesting. What do you think, Jerry? I agree totally. I think another uh, idea that popped into my head just now is having been at this for a while, I've heard over the years, you know, like, well, I'll know based upon my current recent performance, if it deviates too much from the history, I'll know that my system is broke, broken, or maybe it's not broken. So I think that that sort of silliness, um, you know, if you set a new all-time drawdown, hey, that doesn't mean your system is broken in, you know, in real time uh, because it exceeds a drawdown or what you have seen in historical data. So in some way, I think by building these systems just the way that Moritz described it, we are looking at history, but we don't really believe in that history. What's going to happen in the future is going to be much different. All we believe in is whatever signals, the signals that are generated uh, historically, you know, buy this breakout, sell that breakout. We do think that's the best way to go forward. But whatever happens in the future is going to be a total shock and surprise. Oh. 
I think that's also a great point. Interestingly enough, we were praising uh, one of our fellow uh, peers in this space, uh, AQR, last week, and um, and they have also got a new podcast uh, and very very interesting, very well done, very different in format. Uh, than what we're doing but one of their topics recently was um, the fact that you can't rely on uh, past performance for anything and that uh, I think they brought up something like that in some studies had shown that SAT scores were a better indicator of uh, hedge fund managers uh, performance which I I wasn't entirely sure where they were going with that Um, and I think most investors probably would pick a manager with a slightly better track record than, than not had they no other choice. Uh, so I do think track records are meaningful in some ways, even though they're not going to be looking exactly the same in the future, because as you say, Jerry, it, the environment might, you know, will be different, right? But we are, we, we, but we believe in the process. That's what we are, you know, that's what we are building. Um, so, but I thought that was an interesting comment, which I didn't, I didn't agree with, I have to say. And, and, and I agree with you, Niels. I don't agree with it either. I think you know yeah. one of the great advantages of the way that we trade and approach the markets is that we at least can create a backtest. Yeah, we do have and, and, the means yeah. to you know use historical data and create a system and see what that would have looked like in the past and get a a feel um, for the process for the future. Of course, we cannot. We don't have crystal ball. We not. We don't know how that's going to play out. But at least we can create the infrastructure and kind of like the, the foundation for a solid investment process. And I haven't really seen, you know, other investment approaches that, you know, that, that do that. You have to be systematic to do this. Yeah. But, but plus you don't, I mean, you, you, if you were, if you were an, if you were an investor and you had to pick a manager, I mean, you wouldn't pick the worst performing manager to saying, well, I don't no, really never. believe it past performance. Never. So well, you may, you may choose, you may buy the drawdown. So that's different say, yeah. yeah exactly okay. that's different yeah. so you may hone in on a certain time five year three years and then say well i'm going to um it's less than three years and this guy's in a drawdown and i think that he's solid and where i'm gonna buy more yeah. so i think that's sure. and I another think thing that still- i thought of is that um i read articles all the time about medical research and how it's <clears throat> not that good and and some of the tests and they uh, they talk about how the research was done poorly and it's these results are not something we should believe in anymore or another test comes out and about medical or diet or fitness or whatever and you know uh, cholesterol doesn't matter now and i think we're we're, we're very aware of of how, all of that because we've seen back tests and we've heard people talk about how they do tests and we're like oh yeah i see how you come up with those wrong results because uh, we're very well versed on that and i think we should always be skeptical about research and we should take away from the research as little as we possibly can. And for years I've been saying the one thing I could say about our research is I feel comfortable saying is we've come up with areas where this is a pretty good place to buy and a pretty good place to sell. And I feel very confident in saying that, but I'm not saying very much. I'm very confident that crude and heating oil are very correlated and I, take that into consideration. But I'm, I think it's we should be very skeptical of our own research and what we're going to take for going forward. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, on our side, uh, actually, one of our research members is dedicated to be skeptical and to find holes and not champion ideas or fall in love with ideas because we want that critical mind uh, always questioning what we do. That's the only way to not, um, you know, get too comfortable and 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 keep keep improving. Really, um, just moving down the line of things we wanted to cover. You already mentioned, uh, Jerry. You were tweeting about this article, but we have this section called Jerry's Top Tweets. For those who didn't hear the first episode of our <laughs> of our little new series here, so um, what other top tweets do you uh, have for us this uh, week? We can dive into and debate. Well, uh, this is uh, something that I haven't tweeted recently, but it came across my desk, I think, yesterday, and I thought it was fascinating. And it's one of those uh, ideas that uh, where the, I think, the systematic trader, trend follower might have a different opinion than the rest of the world. No surprise there. Uh-huh. And with, at Chesapeake, we trade the single stocks, and we build a portfolio of longs and shorts of diverse markets of maybe one or two stocks from each of the major industries. And we hope to have a very diversified portfolio. And the best litmus test for that might be sometimes, usually, longs and shorts and flats. And so it's interesting that um, non-trend followers are writing articles these days about the market um, is being led by just a few stocks. And other stocks are not doing nearly as well. And this is a a problem that there's this weakness and not enough breadth or um, there's divergence. And I'm saying, <clears throat> yeah, kind of, but I'm looking at each individual equity anyways, um, individually, and I'm kind of happy that um, I've got some diversification. And so I think that is kind of an interesting situation where I prize the diversification. I wish I wasn't short every single currency. I wish I had some longs on. Now, that would maybe send a mixed message about the dollar, whatever. But I think it's very important to look at these markets as individual markets, as individual equities, and not sort of, um, I think you just get into a little bit of trouble when you have a situation like this and you have a big concentrated position in a long index maybe, when it's just a few stocks driving it, uh, I'm going to be in a much better situation than I have some previous uh, market scenarios. When the market does sell off, I have a few longs and a few shorts and mostly flat. So I'm kind of glad about this divergence in some way. Yeah. So, I mean, so, so essentially it goes back to this point, I guess, that, you know, you treat, since you treat each individual opportunity um, you know, and you look at the say, I imagine you look at the strength of the signal, and therefore you you allocate differently to say a Nike compared to, you know, uh, another stock. And uh, while if you were just buying an index fund or you know a mutual fund, you would just get the average, right? And 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 so you get average, you end up with average performance, while your stock portfolio could, you know, be doing much better than or should do much better, I would imagine, over time. And my main goal. The first thing I'm going to start out with is risk control, capital preservation. Yeah. And the best way to get that is, you know, obviously with a good system, with a stop loss and uh, trailing stops, but also with longs and shorts. You know, mm. I, I'm i not really that concerned about the market in general when I'm trading these individual names that give me so much diversification. And yeah, the market is probably not as strong in 2013 
this basically same portfolio of stocks, I was probably long 95% of them. And, you know, the drawdown was hell. It was bad. And so I made a lot of money, but also gave a lot back. So I'm not going to just ipso facto say, oh, this is a bummer that uh, the, the market market in general is not that strong because I can see underneath the hood and see, yeah, it's not that strong because a lot of the stocks are not in a big uptrend like the fangs. But there's pros and cons. And um, it's kind of funny that coming from non-system traders or trend traders, they're very interested in this in the trends of all these markets, um, why do you think that is? I mean, I mean, that's a that's a that's a interesting observation. Why? Do, what? What do you think they want to achieve by, in a sense, questioning the, you know, the the rally because of lack of breath? I mean, I think they missed it. Yeah, their system value or fundamental, yeah, is not you know going to keep them in a trend when it looks stupid. You know, the CTAs are the ones who are going to keep long in the stock market for no good reason other than it's going up. As interest rates approach zero, we're the only ones that are going to stay long, the bonds and the the interest rates, just because it's in an uptrend. When crude goes from 90 to in the 20s, you know, who would still stay short that? Who was expecting that? So this is one of the benefits of what we do. Going back to the equities, just a point on that, I, you know, I I think it's uh, it's funny. I, I once said, "What is an equity index anyway?" It strikes me as kind of like a, a funny concept to put all those equities into a basket and say, "Here's an index." And I'm saying that in particular because here in Europe, people like trading the Eurostox 50. I go, "Okay, so that's 50 stocks from different countries. They all do different things." And what is that synthetic basket type of thing? They all like trading it. And I once said, "Well, you know what? I, I really don't like trading it that much." Um, I'd rather break it up into uh, different parts. You know, they, Italy, France, Germany, um, they, they all trade in different ways. The index is driven by different stocks. So I can gain a diversification benefit by breaking that index up into different parts and not trading the Eurostox 50. Absolutely. But, and, and this is the funny part because we want divergence, right? We want all markets to do their own thing and we treat... I don't know about you guys, but we certainly treat on our side all markets individually, even though you can group them in groups or in sectors, but we we treat them individually. But yet the whole world, the whole world, I mean, the sort of the traditional world, they, they're going exactly opposite. They want everything to be bundled together. They want everything to be smoothed out. And, and, and when you do that, as you say, Moritz, you, you know, you lose out. I mean, you, you end up, yeah, I mean, at you the end, end of the day, you could say, I'm trading one market, I'm trading the MSCI world. That's it. That's yeah. my equity exposure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's so a good idea. The uh, link you sent me, Niels, this week, um, mm-hmm. the Andrew Lowe speech is fascinating. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yes. And he's a, yeah. very, what a, what a great speaker and um, professor. Yeah. And uh, towards the end, he tells a really funny story about the first equity index. And uh, I think even Bogle told the story that it was not created by him, but two other guys, and it was in 1969, and the index was um, 100 stocks, equal weighted. And that was their first attempt. It made sense to them. And then, of course, it did not last because there were no spreadsheets back then. And they had no, it was too hard to recalc and rebalance the index. So they just said, okay, well, let's do cap weighted, since it kind of mm-hmm. takes care of itself until sure, their additions. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's kind of funny that the world not only 
loves in- indexes, but cap weighted makes all the sense in the world. But if it, if they had been started when the spreadsheet was around, it may be equal weighted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's very true. That's very true. Any other tweets, uh, Jerry, you want to bring up that you liked this week? I think that is about uh, the best that I can come up with. No, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, we got questions, by the way. We've got more questions coming in. And we do encourage, by the way, to all the listeners around the world, send us your question. Just send them to info at toptradersandplug.com. Put question uh, in the subject line, and we will be happy to uh, attempt answering them as many as we can. Are you ready for a couple of questions? Sure. Yes. Okay. This is from Brian, and it's a two-part question. Let's see how we do here. Uh, shorting volatility strategies in various markets and its impact on CTA managed future strategies. So maybe more an observation, whether we have any views on the fact that it has become a popular strategy in recent years to be short volatility and whether we feel it has an impact on what we do uh, in the trend following space. Any views, any comments? Well, I guess uh, Brian means the shorting of implied vol selling options, um, presumably leading to mean reversion in the underlying markets, suppressing trends and reducing realized volatility. I, I guess I'm, I'm guessing that is what he means. He may mean different things, but if, if that is what he means, then um, um, it's a question of, you know, what's the volume of that volatility selling going on and uh, at what time does it occur? Um, yes, theoretically, it does have a suppressing effect and it makes markets more mean reverting. But, you know, those things easily break apart. And uh, before you know it, you have a very strong trend going on. And I sort of thought he was talking about the VIX. So um, I've tried yeah, to figure out well. the VIX and understand it and maybe incorporate it. Um, I think getting it, shorting it would be make me very nervous. And I probably wouldn't want to do that. Uh, but I do have clients who, you know, they want us to take away all the problems with the equity markets and do better in February of 2018 if when that happens again. And would you please incorporate VIX into your trading? And so... I think it's a good request. I'm trying to get my arms around it. I see it is much more difficult to understand the Bitcoin. Um, the Bitcoin sure. chart was, uh, it's a crazy chart, it, crazy moves. Uh, but I've seen that a chart that looks like that many, many times. It's a crazy up move and then it just sort of crashes. I've figured out, I figured out a long time ago, I need to have a system a systematic approach that can handle something like that because it'll happen in many different markets. But, oh, yeah. but the VIX, I'm a little perplexed by. Sure, sure, sure. So, I have a, 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 yeah, so uh, my comment to the VIX is that we we do trade the VIX on our side, but we can't trade it as trend follows. It, we, we can't find a way to make money as a trend follower on the VIX. Um, so, so we do different things in that area. Uh, but I do know from our guys that, um, you know, shorting volatility was a great trade last year and the year before. However, um, there was one big player, uh, the XIV fund. Um, and since its demise in February, when the market went up, um, you know, then uh, and they were short uh, VIX uh, with leverage, they went out of business. And actually, according to our sources, um, pretty much 25% of the daily volume in the VIX disappeared. And it also means that the selling pressure on the VIX has, um, you know, 
gone out a bit, meaning that the VIX doesn't seem to want to go quite as low because there's not as many people who really want to be selling it at 10 than there used to be when they just had to do the trade uh, inside this uh, fund. So, But it's an interesting market. It's an interesting return stream, and it's certainly a non-correlated uh, strategy. But we, on our side, certainly have found a way to to do that. I thought your, your observation about Bitcoin is interesting. And of course, if you want another market that seems to now be behaving like Bitcoin, it would be pot. Or cannabis <laughs> so maybe we need a pot future somewhere um and uh, you know then we can all look at it and see if we can make money from that i said it, yeah i said it was a two-part question um so brian also asked will there be more trend following etfs and mutual funds for investing by retail investors question mark many investors are now conditioned to look for very low fee etfs will this prevent creation of new trend following etfs funds um I'm really not so much in that space. Uh, I know you are, Jerry. Um, any observations on your side? Yes, we are in that space, and there are enough trend, CTA trend-following mutual funds that uh, one should be able to find one or two that they like. Um, and the great great thing about that is that, uh, at least from our experience, is that there's, we have to make no compromises uh, with our program, our systems, our markets. It's the same program in the mutual fund or the private fund or the managed account. <clears throat> so it's there. It's probably going to get cheaper and uh, better, you know, as we as we improve and as as the as the program obviously always tries to get better. So uh, it's there. It's great. It's the fees need to come down, and they probably will. As far as the ETF, I think that's a great idea. There are a couple out there. <clears throat> um, we don't have one. Uh, I think the only problem with the ETF is that uh, it would encourage someone to be even shorter term with their CTA investment. So right, yeah, not a great right. idea. No. Uh, we need the five-year lockup fund. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Morris? Any observations on this? Or do you want me to jump to our last question of the day? Uh, not too much to add, to be honest. Um, I've looked at a couple of those ETFs out there, like there's a managed futures ETF. Um, it's not really that liquid yet, I find. And um, and it is a bit more expensive just because of the fact that it is exchange traded during the day. Um, so I'm not sure how this is going to develop. I think it's, it's a great development that we have uh, CTA usage funds and CTA 40 Act funds available to the public. Those become cheaper. They're very good products. Um, that's the way to go. And I wouldn't even mind it if they had, you know, weekly or monthly liquidity, just as Jerry said, <laughs> you know, take sure. the uh, the incentive away to trade them too often. Yeah, no, I did, that's true. I did read an article recently. I may have tweeted this. It said, um, make sure you take into consideration um, the bid offer spread. In the mm. in when you calculate the cost of an an alt, liquid alt ETF or any ETF, of course. So I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. So you gotta. There's a lot of costs, hidden costs, um, but it does seem to be a little. Uh, whenever I think about an ETF, I'm like, okay, I have this nice cocoa position or bean oil position. Markets that are not as liquid as I would hope, and so how is this market maker going to? offset the risk in these markets. So it does seem to be a little, I don't really understand how that whole process works and probably better to um, improve some of the tax consequences of U.S. 40 Act funds um, 
<clears throat> rather than trying to get them into an ETF format. Yeah. And my question really would be to an investor, why do you need intraday liquidity on a trend following program? Question mark. Why? Mm -hmm. I think that's a great question. I think we all we all know the answer to that. So, uh, but anyways, we appreciate those questions from you, Brian, and uh, Bruno. Bruno from last week is back with another question. He does appreciate what we said to uh, his first question, and um, so this question is um, it's a little bit long. It's a little bit uh, technical, but let's see how we go. Um, how should a manager go about implementing the proper technology for their business in regards to servers, computers, software, and all the other IT infrastructure necessary to run a smooth operation? Since technology consistently changing and innovation, are there three other specific third-party consulting companies that help with those challenges? Um, any views on you in terms of um, the structure, the setup of, of a CTA business today? Anything that you can talk about from your your experience? Uh, in my case, in our case, it's a do-it-yourself. Um, systems have developed over time. They, you know, the infrastructure keeps on changing, but it's kind of like build your own type of thing. Um, I'd say that if if you wanted to run a trend following program for yourself, there's not really that much of a need to go out and buy expensive software, buy somebody else's system. Definitely don't do that. I advise against that. Build your own. And, you know, even things like it's frowned upon. People say don't use Excel because everybody should be using Python or R or, you know, a more sophisticated tool. But even Excel is so powerful now that you can easily put a trend following system inside of that. I probably yeah. have an outdated to get started, right? Like like we said last week, it's it's a journey. I mean, at least it gets you started. You understand what you're doing there. You have the daily processes. It produces order signals. You do the reconciliation, checking of fills, all those type of things. It can be done with Excel. It can be improved if you use other things, but it's a start. I agree. Yeah. I have a probably an outdated view on um, <clears throat> starting it, starting a CTA business since I started one so many years ago. And but I definitely would encourage it when people start out to concentrate on the trading and the research and one way that you could not be distracted by other things like I was, was to commit to having a private fund and try to find clients who are interested in investing in your private fund. At one point in time, we had 100 managed accounts. And that, and even if it was 50 or 20, it's too many, too much distraction. And you're attracted, when you get someone into your private fund as a young up and coming trader, that is somebody who wants to be part of your program. <clears throat> um, undoubtedly, because it's not optimal. Everybody wants their own managed account. And but I think it's uh, you're really going to attract the right kind of people and have your head on straight and your priorities straight by not trying to be all things to all people with different leverages and different fees. Uh, but I'm focused on research and uh, the simplicity of, of all the other stuff. If it's if people are asked to go into a private fund, you can really step back and just concentrate on what really matters, which is your performance and your growing the um, growing your body of knowledge and being a better trader. Yeah. 
completely agree. And I think also, you know, when it comes to, to strategy, et cetera, et cetera, it often really is that the simple stuff is the most robust in, in our business. So we, again, and I think it goes back to our initial conversation about, you know, uh, uh, storytelling, you know, people want stories and, and you know, uh, I think our industry sometimes makes it sound more complicated than it is because it sounds more interesting maybe, maybe and uh, but I'm not sure we're doing ourselves a, a, a great service uh, in um, in doing it that way. Um, so clearly a lot of things goes on under the hood, uh, inside trend following, but the core concepts um, are generally simple and, and so should running a CTA business, um, you know, be so. Anyway, I hope, uh, Bruno, that answers uh, or gives you a little bit of color on your question. Um, I was just going to give a quick update on the industry um, in terms of where we are. These numbers are from Thursday evening. My sense is not a lot happened yesterday, Friday. But um, the BTOP50 index is down 0.43 for the month, down 3.07 for the year. Uh, Sockgen CTA down 1.63, down 4.4 for the year. Uh, Sockgen Trend, which is more like what we're doing, down 2.2 for the month, down 4.46 for the year. And the short-term traders index also from SockGen down 0.73 for the month up a scratch, 0.18 for the year. And then the bridge alternatives down 2.46, down 6.72. And that index is uh, flat fee funds. So, um, yeah, so without performance fee. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up for uh, this week? Yeah, great. No, I think we're good. No. Fantastic. Good stuff. Well, on that note, let's wrap up this conversation. We hope that you have enjoyed it as much as we enjoy making it for you. And if you felt you got something out of it, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And please leave a message or not a message, a rating and review is what I meant to say on iTunes. It really does uh, help. From Jerry Morris and me, thanks so much for listening. And we look forward to being back with you next week. Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.